Greetings on this non-linear time-space continuum. We're starting off with quid promo from our most lovely pod pals, Naomi, Lydia and Jen from the Shocked and Applaud podcast. It is a fun podcast. I particularly enjoy their How's Moving Castle and Joe versus the Volcano, even though I'm not ready to face Polynesians and Fanacans just yet. (laughs) Take the promo away. Hey, future applauders. Do you like talking about movies? Like smart movies? Dumb movies? Science fiction movies? Horror movies? Fantasy movies? Do you like listening to people talk about a movie longer than it would take you to actually watch the movie? Do you sit with your friends and rant at great length about things you're passionate about? You may be interested in Shocked and Applaud. Join us while we go through peculiar movies, traditional movies, movies that we just like, movies that we find are sort of like, huh? Do we follow somebody on social media and then they posted about a movie and we're just going to watch it now? Sure, why not? Our podcast is completely unscripted, so you're going to stumble through things with us because we stumble a lot. We're going to laugh. We're going to talk about what's problematic, but really it comes down to talking about movies. You can visit us at shockedandapplaud.com, on Twitter at shockedapplaud, and Facebook at shockedandapplaud. We hope to see you there. Howdy doody, friends and lovers. Welcome back to the For You Reference podcast. You got your host, Katie. And Doty. Greet a stranger, but ignore your neighbor as we cover Showtime's The Shy this week. Mm-hmm. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Applies to season one and season two of this show. <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. We take kindly to your kind in the For You Reference household around her. Let's start off with the stats. We have creator Lena Waithe executive producer this show has rotated uh showrunners every season Mm -hmm. um but they are going to continue the current showrunner for season four if you didn't know ot there will be a season four of the shy oh okay breaking references in the news house over here um it is airing on showtime we do watch we do dabble in the showtime maybe not as much as hbo um but i think this might be the first showtime that we've covered on this show Yes, indeed. It's showtime tonight. Mm-hmm. Love that. Uh, it was released in March of 2018, even though we most recently just watched The Shy mm-hmm. this year, right? Yeah, this year. And with the cast, we have Jason Mitchell, Jacob Kenny Lattimore. That's a reference for Oti's generation. <laughs> Get out of town. <laughs> Everyone knows Kenny Lattimore. Are we just going to pretend that you made me Google that? <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have Taren Gumambaho Mwani. Thanks for joining me on the Stato, T. I love this collaboration. Mm, you're welcome. 
<laughs> so uh, let's continue on in a segment we call First Impressions. Welcome, welcome. If you are an avid fan of The Shy and that's how you found us, um, this is where we talk about how we felt generally. Um, we do love Elena Waith in the For Your Reference podcast, all the accolades to her Thanksgiving episode in Master of None, which we have an episode on. Mm-hmm. We also have an episode um, of Queen and Slim. Yeah. We still give accolades in some regards. Um, and we've referenced 20s quite a lot um, throughout our podcast as well. Um, and we're also aware of the fact that, uh, you know. Well, yeah, we've covered a lot of Lena Waithe, mate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and if anyone is a Lena Waithe stand, just remember that as we continue <laughs> our discussion. Um, but welcome, welcome, welcome. But yes, this is absolutely where we talk about, um, you know, our general sort of thoughts on the series. Um, again, we've we've talked about Lena Waithe. We can talk about um, if uh, any of the actors, if we've come across them before. But just a general sort of sprinkling. Uh, this is also our opportunity to say... Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. And for season one, splooshes, splooshes, splooshes. Mm-hmm. And also season two. Um, so, Oti, start us off. I've seen the shy suckle around for a while. I'm hearing people click clacking on their keyboards. And for some reason, I really didn't get a chance to sit down and just watch it properly. Because we knew it was there. We knew it was there. We We, watched 20s before we watched this. Yeah, we knew it was there. We saw heaps and heaps of trailers Mm -hmm. advertising it. Yeah. But it just didn't grab my attention to the level of, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch this. So earlier this year, when we finally had the time to really get into the shy, I was shocked Mm-hmm. disgusted by myself for not realizing just how great the show yeah. was because oh, we binged the first and second season in under a weekend yeah that takes dedication and not only even that mm-hmm. it just shows how good the show was yeah absolutely the first two seasons i don't think i've been enthralled by any tv series in as much as I was with The Shy, where I loved the characters. Immediate emotional attachment. Exactly. Yeah. I, and the storyline was so in-depth, you'd cling to everything. Absolutely. You know, even the characters that you ne- didn't necessarily like, they still offered value in some regard. They 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 added to the tapestry that was The Shy. The tapestry, Chicago. indeed. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my... If you'd asked me, if I'd stopped watching... The Shy, within the first two seasons, it would have been really up there with one of the best TV shows I have ever watched personally. Absolutely, absolutely. And I watch fucking a lot, so it means a lot to y'all, mate. Yeah, we fuck a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and season three fucked us a lot, unfortunately. Mm. Um, I absolutely agree. I, I told you, season one, season two, 10 out of 10 show. Mm. Um, stay tuned for our Christmas special where we rate everything we covered in the year because you're not going to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, entertainment is a vessel. It can be hopefully a vehicle for change and it can also be a microcosm of a world or experiences that you're not necessarily, um, you know, within your own frame of reference, mm-hmm. right? But there are things that feel uniquely um, genuine to the world. So, for example, obviously everyone compared The Wire. You know, when you watch the first two seasons of The Shy, you definitely feel that sense of the wire the wire felt without having any sort of frame of reference the wire felt very baltimore 
Mm. Right. And, you know, if we want to talk about shows feeling more central, um, power, go and listen to our episode with Colby. It was like two hours long. Um, but power felt very New York. 30 Rock felt very New York. Um, Insecure feels very California. Um, Snowfall feels very California. Even The Shield feels very California. So a lot of the rings felt really middle off me. Thank you. Thank you, Tolkien, <laughs> from our reference South Park. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but, you know, like without having a lot of um, understanding of, you know, the struggles and the triumphs of Chicago as a city, it felt so great to immerse ourselves in the shy and it really had its own voice. It had its own flavour. It had its own way of walking. Mm. And I really appreciated that in season one and season two that we had in this show. Mm. And, you know, aside from season three, nothing can be taken away from that. No, nothing at all. Um, so feel free to join along. We know um, a lot of our friends and lovers like to listen to episodes even if they haven't watched what we're covering because you like to be spoiled in all of your sploosh places and we very much appreciate that. But if you have watched The Shy and you were confused between season two and season three, um, just from storylines alone, from main characters being killed off and that sort of thing. Um, you know, there were allegations in regards to Jason Mitchell, whether those are true or substantiated. It's a very gray area, like even watching Breakfast Club interviews with Lena Waithe and also another one with Jason Mitchell. Nothing's very clear, but in any case, he he had to leave the show. Um, but how they dealt with that was very confusing. Um, we also have the actor that plays Reg also left the show as well. Um, so a, a lot of things were left up in the air behind the scenes that dramatically dramatically, um, you know, negatively impacted the way the show um, rolled out in season three. Same script, different cast. Oh, I love that. Mm, is, mm, that a, mm. is that an OT Lattimore? <laughs> That's an OT Braxton, mate. Oh, my. <laughs> you can, you can uh, tune my Spanish guitar anytime, my love. Mm. But it, oh, I've never felt as much frustration as I felt watching The Shy as I did with American Gods. I think that's the best example I can give where, yeah, shit happens behind the scenes, but it like catastrophically impacted the on-screen following seasons and, and the storylines. Um, shout out to Orlando Jones and Ansi in American Gods. Like it, it, it viscerally... I will say it, come and fight me on our on my personal Twitter, not our podcast Twitter. Um, it ruined the show. Mm. It ruined the shy. And I'm also talking about American gods, I guess, as well. But, you know, the shy had something very special. It, it, it had its own heartbeat. And unfortunately, you know, th there's so much uh, key messaging, important messaging that is that is flooding that heartbeat of the show. Unfortunately, I think one of the most frustrating things is uh, we'd spent two seasons loving the main characters, mm -hmm. you know, getting where the storyline is going, anticipating what will happen with this main characters. And then for the rug to simply be pulled out of your feet to not even realize why they're doing that. Yeah. There's no information whatsoever. Yeah. 
And then you're sitting there wondering what the fuck, mm -hmm. you know, and to not even address it in the show and just kill Brandon off and then throw some subliminal shit to hit towards him. Like yeah. it doesn't really make sense. It, it it was bad taste, especially when Lala came into the picture and was like, Brandon ain't <laughs> shit. Brandon was pretty much fucking everything in that show. I think it was just a He was the embodiment of everything Chicago was. But if you didn't know the behind the scenes of the show, I think it was just reinforcing to the audience that he's not coming back. Like Fair don't enough. Look, I just didn't look. take it. Like they didn't say anything that Brandon ain't wrong. Yeah. And there's speculation, but I'm not into taking speculation as fucking fact. Yeah. So unless you tell me what he did wrong, you can't just come and slander the guy yeah. who we actually loved the first of fucking two seasons and his everything. Just like Johnny You've did. built the show on him and his shoulders and his character. Yeah. So for you to come and say he ain't shit, what the fuck? You're throwing pretty much everything that we've based the show on, we've based the shy on, down the bloody trash. How much of that is based on how you feel about La La, though? I'd say 90%, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. <laughs> no, La La is shit. <laughs> um, friends and lovers, let me have some time to pull all of my glasses up. I always talk about my very learned, very deep research, usually through way of IMDb trivia. Unfortunately, this show doesn't have a lot. Um, but I did find my way and I stumbled um, into Reddit threads about the shy. Mm. Um, and, you know, people were talking about, um, you know, how they felt, especially about season three. Um, and, you know, maybe OT was on there because 90% of it was about Lala and how she ruined the show. <laughs> How she single-handedly ruined the show. <laughs> it's it's hard not to not to agree with them. Yeah, mm. but yeah, again, um, what whatever happened happened, and it is unfortunate. Um, but you know, like it's not just one person sitting in a room writing a web series. This is a real network with a proper writer's room, with a showrunner, with directors and, you know, I I don't fucking know. I'm not in Hollywood. But, you know, there's a whole machine behind this show so I don't understand how it slipped through everyone's fingers so viscerally. Yeah, it's like casting Prison Break, killing off Schofield and making <laughs> Abruzzi the main guy and... He's supposedly supposed to have all this. He's done a lot of crap things that you're not supposed to like him. Oh, and then, speaking of, we need to get to Ronnie, but yeah. Because that's a problem. You can't, you can't, there's, there can't be such a turnaround where you think, oh, Ronnie is pretty much the deep of this. And then you yeah. come to us so like, the deep is not the, the main lead in the boys. Like, yeah. Piss right off. Doesn't make sense. Well, also Emmett as well. I don't think he was bolstered in enough substance to. But he's have. not strong enough to be the lead. I agree. I know we don't agree often, my love, but I'm actually agreeing. No, it was just with really you. frustrating taking such a really good show mm -hmm. and decimating it. Yeah. Anyway, I think we'll focus more on what we loved about this show <laughs> after <we>? this point. <laughs> actually, this is a question. So, season four has been confirmed. Do you care enough? Would you would you want to watch the fourth season, or do you think we just cut our losses and try and remember the times of old? The fact that I watched season three, like I, it can't be worse than that, so I'll go. Yeah, in. don't say that. It surely can't be worse than that. 
I, I, um, there was also another comment on the Reddit thread saying that season one and season two started off and felt like The Wire and then by the end of season three, it felt like a Tyler Perry show. Oh man, acrimony up in here. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we do love Tyler Perry in the For Your Reference household. There is character development on our love um, for Tyler Perry. Go and listen to our Black AF um, episode. He's paving his own lane, so good for him. But also at the same time, no one is immune to our, um, our gander. Mm-hmm. And our candle. Um, and you know what's really funny about this OT? Because in the schedule of life, um, we've always intended and we've mentioned in a couple of podcast episodes that we are going to um, cover the shy. So if you still haven't watched it, I guess that's on you. But it finished airing at the end of August. Mm. And we're still very, very passionate about how we feel about the show. Because it's so few times that you get to get a show like the shy it was so great and to have a cast that not only do you buy into their story mm-hmm. but you also love them and for her to completely just change with a flip of a switch yeah it just felt wrong to me and it felt like just putting yourself down in a position of you know power and I don't understand most of these things. And if wrong was done, then fair enough. But a lot of the storylines were just discarded. It felt, season three felt like a standalone. And if season three was a pilot for any fucking show, that shit will not be renewed for any season. And that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, it's, we talked about this in the game episode, Michael Douglas, if you're nasty, um, about how, it becomes more frustrating when something starts off strong as opposed to it, you know, being enjoyable but not heightening expectations. Mm. And I think that's part of what got us very frustrated um, with The Shy. But, you know, let's talk about Brandon's character because he really was at the centre of the show. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of the interviews um, afterwards, especially with Jacob Lattimore, Um, Emmett because he kind of becomes more of the main sort of character there was a lot of damage control in regards to um, interviews or any sort of articles um, after or while the third season was being aired and a lot of it was about how vibrant the story was and how there wasn't really a main character and it, it kind of bounced off other people and I don't necessarily agree no, he was the main character. What does Brandon, he mean there wasn't any main Brandon character? Brandon was the foundation on which the shy was paved. Mm. And every every character pretty much connected uh, to Brandon in some shape or form. Yeah. Part of the reason why we love Emmett so much was because he was under the tutelage of Brandon. Mm. Without that, you just have frivolity and nasty sex, which is great on a Tuesday night when the episode comes out. But what else, sir? What else indeed? And you know what? Even even take Brandon off the bloody picture. Well, we did. That's what season three is. What happened to Q? Yeah. What happened to the two detectives who were investigating Q? Yeah. And trying to bring down the, you know, the drug dealers in the shy. Okay. So let's, let's, let's actually talk about that specifically. So a, a lot of... A lot of the ass fell out. I think that's, uh, is that a KT Tong in your phrase or mine? Yep. Okay. Thank you for validating that. I really appreciate you validating my ass. Um, so in regards to. It's free validation, mate. 
for everyone? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, contact us for 20% off uh, the discount code. Um, but in regards to season one and season two, Detective Cruz in particular was quite foundational to, I guess, another perspective, a- another turning of the coin in regards to Jason's death and also Kugi's death. Mm. We saw different parts of the community being affected by these young lives being lost. Mm-hmm right? He happened to be a police, I guess, if that's what you want to say, but he did care about the kids. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about this in our Queen and Slim episode and (laughs) I hate to do this, but here we are. This is the body of work. You know, we talked about it in Queen and Slim and, you know, Lena Waithe was talking about how no one is definitively good. No one is definitively bad. This isn't a spoiler for Queen and Slim, but they're, you know, even in the trailer, they they talk about a, a standoff between a cop and Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith's character, Queen and Slim. Um, but, you know, Lena Waithe further, furthers to say that at the end of that particular scene, you see a photo of that particular cop's family. So that's to denote to the fact that he's not 100% bad. Mm. Right. So it isn't unique to the shy. Lena Waithe has, you know, tried to allude to the fact that she doesn't really want to um, continue perpetuating that good cop sort of image. Mm-hmm. Interesting because that's conflicting um, with Queen and Slim. But in any case, that it doesn't make sense in the show, but it makes complete sense once you know that because they completely removed law enforcement. Mm from the show which doesn't really make any sense because if you talk about reg um if you even talk about duda to have you know like drug dealers in the community just doing whatever the fuck they want it's unrealistic to have them there without the police being there whether the police are good whether the police are bad it 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 becomes fantasy that there is no police at all Mm. like it's an interesting, I guess, creative decision that, okay, like, you know, cops have become that, you know, Vic Mackey, for example, right? Mm-hmm. The anti-hero that everyone grows to love. But also at the same time, there is a presence of police everywhere, especially if you have crime as well. Yeah. Yeah. I 100% agreed. And I think the mistake was to do away without storyline completely. Mm-hmm. And if Q was brought down, then definitely there's a case of investigating Duda, who had free reign to -hmm. do pretty much everything. And it was open, it was open to everyone that Duda was really, really bad. Everyone knew Duda on the street. They knew everything that he did. And the fact there was no oversight whatsoever. Yeah. Even the cops investigating Q didn't even appear at all. Yeah. It just felt wrong. Well, especially because, you know, maybe not season one, but season two in particular, you know, Brandon was going to lift the lid off of all of that, Mm. right? He was going to uncover everything in regards to Duda and then it just fell off. So let's talk a bit about the characters that orbit um, Brandon's sort of proximity. Uh, I want to talk about Kugi. I want to talk about Alkima. Sonia Son, uh, Laverne Johnson, who plays Kugi and Brendan's mum. I also want to talk about Hannibal, hands down one of the best characters in this show. Um, he grows weed and he minds his business. 
<laughs> I feel like that should be like a keep calm, carry on sort of merch. Yeah. Someone should make that with his face on it. Um, and also Jerrica, his girlfriend, and I guess by the end of season two they're engaged mm. because they have a very interesting sort of dynamic as well. So I want to talk about the characters surrounding Brendan. I think Cookie Cookie was really interesting. Um, I thought I didn't see him being killed off as soon as he did. Yeah. And when that happened, it just hi- highlighted the characters or characteristics of every other person in the show, mm-hmm. which was really good and strong to do. Um, I think one of the saddest things was it highlighted also the failure of the system mm-hmm. where information really leaked to whatever extent and those, there wasn't really that much protection. Yeah. Um, when Kuyo was suspected of killing Jason, there wasn't that protection you know, um, yeah. to keep that information secure. And we see the, we see Detective Cruz, you know, trying to console the family by saying, hey, we have a, we have a suspect, it's Coogie, and, you know, he goes by whatever fucking name. And that's just so wrong on so many levels. Uh-huh. And until something bad happened, which was really expected, because you can't tell someone that, oh, I've lost a son, and we know this suspect is this guy and then just leave it at that and yeah. expect that to leave that to the hands, to the law to do, to handle that. Just yeah. didn't make any sense. So it was really sad to see how all that transpired. But I think also at the same time, you know, depending on where you are in the world and the experiences that you had, like it might be very confronting to see a kid like Kugi, you know, checking a dead body to see what he can take from it. But at the same time, he was just a kid and he was in the environment that he was in. Yeah, it also shows the level of desensitization to dead bodies. Absolute gunshots. Yeah, like it's just yeah. every other day. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, you know, Laverne, Alkema from The Wire, at the start of season three, make no mistake, I was sobbing like a wee baby Seamus. Mm. Um, when she delivered that speech and, you know, she said that she had no right bringing these boys into this world yeah, and they didn't deserve what was given to them and they deserve to be on this earth a lot longer. And, you know, I, I encourage you guys to watch that scene again. I encourage you to read the transcript of that scene because it felt so real, like especially at the start of season three because nothing made sense. Mm. And I guess that's credit to the writing and to Sonia's acting that I still felt everything I needed to feel in that scene. Yeah. Also speaking at the start of season three, I I, I guess I could speak on behalf of you if you will allow me. I didn't, I thought it was Reg. I thought we were at the funeral for Reg. (laughs) Yeah, Reg didn't even get a bloody funeral, mate. Reg did not get a funeral. Mm. Um, based on the way he went out, it was clear why. <laughs> it was clear that he died. <laughs> like, I don't think we're going to have a bold and the beautiful moment where he's going to rise from the ashes. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it, it all felt very disjointed. But that scene stuck with me and it will continue to stick with me. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of things that this show tries to achieve and I do feel like that scene is one of the triumphs of this show. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. Because we we see her struggle. Mm-hmm. We see her struggle with Cookie's death and how that affects her. And then to lose Brandon that way. Yeah. Knowing full well how it transpired. It just, it was a moment where we had to pause 
and just collect your faculties. I do love a good faculty. Mm. It's one of the most heart-trenching things that scenes that we've watched. Mm-hmm. Piggybacking off season one and two and everything that's transpired because they've built it up so well. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it, it's interesting. It's been months since the show has ended. It, it is hard to reconcile because arguably, and yes, I will argue, that Brendan was the protagonist of this show. Mm. If ever there were a foundation, it was Brendan. Um, so to have that, you know, pulled up from under us, it was hard to reconcile where to go from there. Yeah. Um, and it, I, I do, you know, we do talk a lot about, you know, emotional deaths and choosing when to do them. Um, I wouldn't say it was unearned, but I do feel like it could have been done differently. Oh, yeah. It could have definitely been done differently. Um, but let's move on within Brendan's proximity. We have Hannibal, who's Brendan's cousin. And I love that he gets um, maybe not a bigger role, but he he continues to have uh, relevance in the show later on with Tiffany, who's Emmett's partner or current partner. Yeah, just because he's the widpreneur of the show. Oh, how much equity would you like, OT? Oh, all of it. Would you like some validation on that ass? Mm-hmm. Oh, you are most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's nice to see because also at the same time, Hannibal was very successful in his field as well. Mm. One of the most compelling, you know, sort of attributes that Brendan had to the shy was he wanted to live a better life than he had. Right. Yeah. He wanted that for Kugi. And when Kugi left, he wanted to continue that dream for himself, even with that food truck. Mm. And he tried to spray paint it himself. <laughs> <laughs> but he always tried to find a way to get out from where he was from. Oh, right. Sure. And that kind of peppers into what I want to talk about him and Jerrica, because as we see, Jerrica is kind of like an upper, higher middle class sort of you know her parents own a real estate business and they're very parents affluent. for money they're affluent and they're successful and you know brendan has been training and is very qualified in the culinary sort of arts mm. did i call cooking culinary arts you sure did give katie all of the awards in 2020 please but there is a very poignant scene because you know there were quite a few scenes where we get an inkling that Jerrica's parents do not approve of the relationship. Yeah, because he's a cook. Right? <laughs> right? In this day and age, Ugh. in the world of in the world where you have Gordon fucking Ramsay. Oh yeah. And you Gordon can put your snoots down on cooks. Gordon fuck me, Ramsay. Mm. <laughs> Bloody ridiculous. No, but we have that scene. I think they called it a garden party. See, you can tell I, I I was poor and I'm still poor. But I think they called it a garden party and they had a caterer and it happened to be Brendan's friend. So Brendan wanted to help out. He was having fun. He was enjoying himself. And that was kind of the first moment in that particular event that he felt comfortable mm. and he felt happy. Yeah. We, 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 we don't ask for a lot, but happiness is hard to achieve. And he found happiness in that moment, mm-hmm. right? And 
it became this shameful thing that he's even enjoying being able to help his friend. Being a servant is what they called it. Disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely disgusting. Because, okay, you know what? There's a lot, fortunately, unfortunately, that we inherit from our parents, right? But it comes to a certain point, usually at age, but it comes to a certain point where you can no longer hide behind their ignorances and those ignorances are your own. Because mm-hmm. she kept spouting this bullshit of like, oh, no, it's my parents, it's my parents. But in the way she acts, in the way she talks, especially in front of her parents, she didn't stand up for him. Yeah, she was a completely different person around her parents. It's disgusting. Mm. Because we see her away from that and she's strong. And I think one of the better, most things that I think I liked about Jerica was that mm-hmm. she... At least at the time, I thought that she knew what she was and where she belonged and what she wanted to aspire to. Do you hear that, friends and lovers? It was a backpedal and it was based on my face. (laughs) (laughs) And then you bring the parents into the picture and she's a completely different person. I hate that. Yeah. And and I was like, cool, cool. I understand this from, okay, maybe she's just, I give a lot of liberties. Mm. But even with the housing development, right? Mm. And the way that she, I don't know, and the way that the the landlord didn't like Jerrica at all until she came over for dinner and she met Brendan. Yeah. Brandon's cooking as well. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I don't know, like we've all lived a hard life and we've all been through shit and that's not to, you know, um, disband anyone sort of experiences but what i would say to that is when you put your big person pants on you can't hide behind anyone else i know you can't so either you relinquish the ignorances that your parents instilled into you or you you own it Mm. there's no in fucking between agreed i felt like i wanted to punch everything when brendan proposed because she was i don't like using this word but she was toxic (laughs) (laughs) you think because she was just a cute patootie little thing that she wasn't toxic she fucking was wow i didn't see her as toxic i just saw her as trying to find her lane trying to find herself and but why does why does brendan need to lose out while she finds herself why does he need to play as her friend quoted that good thug dick why does he need to play that role while she finds herself it's wrong yeah. yeah, I see your point. I see your point. I'm not going to fight over Jerrica over here, but at least I understood where she was coming from, or at least what she tried to do. Now you know the R and NPR stands for reference, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming to our TEDx talk. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on to some other characters. We've kind of already talked about Detective Cruz and also Alice Toussaint. The only one, only thing I want to say in regards to um, Detective Toussaint in this particular case, I hated her puffed up vibrato. Um, you know, being in IT, I guess that's the only frame of reference I have in being in a male-dominated industry and how you feel like you need to be bigger and you need to take bigger space in the room and you 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 need to teeter the balance between being aggressive and also being assertive. Like, I understand that. Mm. But I did not care, sir. 
I did not care for Detective Alice Desson talking down to Detective Cruz just because he wasn't black, right? So she just assumed that he knew nothing and he didn't care about the community. Yeah. Yeah, she, when he was like the wealth of knowledge. Yeah, she came off as a problem, and we later saw that she actually needed Detective Cruz to do anything to get any mm-hmm. anything done. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Toussaint was a problem, but I felt like there was a development coming along. Oh, absolutely! But as we all know, that was pretty much cut short. She didn't have the Presbulewski no point of return. <laughs> <laughs> I'll That's throw this another... into the bush and start teaching. Yeah. <laughs> That's another uh, wire reference. Okay, let's move on to, I guess, in season three, a main character. And this, friends and lovers, I do not pull my foundational qualms card out all the time, but I will present them right now. Ronnie is a fucking problem. Yeah. It is. So 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 let's talk about it because in real life and even as a viewing experience, there are some cardinal sins, crimes, actions, whatever you want to call it, there are some things that characters and people do that there's no point of return. Mm. Okay? If you are those friends and lovers that haven't watched a shy and you just fucking miss us and you want to listen, we love you right back. But... Just to fill, uh, I guess, you guys in, Ronnie shot Kugi out of retaliation, out of revenge because of Jason, mm-hmm. because Jason died, mm-hmm. right? And he seemed to have believed that Kugi was the one at hand. Yeah. So a grown man shot a child. Mm-hmm. I want to make that very clear. There's, there's only a few things. And, you know, OT, you talked about it in our Fallen episode in your catholic sort of upbringing there are some things that just can't be forgiven right Mm -hmm. and i believe that follows through from a story point of view Mm -hmm. when someone kills a child in my personal view from a tv show from a movie there's no coming back yep you can create and in season three it was very clear that you can create characters out of nowhere do that if you want us to root for someone, do it on a clean slate. Whether it's an existing character that doesn't have that sort of baggage or whether it's a completely new character, again, we see in season three, do that. Don't try and give me a redemption arc on someone that has killed a child. Yeah, it felt really like um, Jesus Rawls' justification for having the movie <laughs> at the start, you know? Shout outs to Ben, <laughs> Paul and Adam from Film Busters. We fucking love you. It felt at that level. Like, I'm like sitting here thinking, why are we focusing so much on fucking Ronnie's road to redemption? Thank you. No one needs that. He didn't even need that in the first place. <laughs> it was too ridiculous. It was still ridiculous and I was just completely put off by it, you know. And ideally to me, the focus would have gone to Kevin, Jake and Papa. Absolutely. And let's focus on them. Yeah. Uh, The hardships of them growing up in Chicago's environment. Where the fuck is Papa? Where the fuck is bloody Papa, you know? (laughs) Big Papa. But then again, we we come to have Ronnie as the focus Mm. and him feeling away about being rejected by the community. It's, Expecting it's, us to feel fucking sad for him. 
Nah, mate. My sadness is reserved for people who fucking deserve it. It's interesting to know that you feel the same way I do because, you know, we talk a lot about um, OT being very patient and watching 10 seasons of something he doesn't like. But I was voicing how I felt while we were watching, you know, season two also and season three. But you kind of kept poo-pooing me. So I thought that you were okay with this redemption arc. No, no, not at all. I just wanted something different. Yeah. I just wanted something to make sense, to not try and push Roddy down our bloody throats because we don't deserve it. And he for sure did not deserve getting that much screen time. No, <laughs> he didn't. And, you know, as much as I love dissecting, analyzing, my brain is too fucking small to reconcile whether I should forgive or care about someone that killed a child. Mm. You know, like, again, we are talking within the realms of entertainment and that's why I love staying <laughs> within TV shows and movies. This is not a documentary. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have that sort of character that has done a, a deplorable, unforgivable thing, then no, I, I don't want to hear how you're doing better mm. because the kid that you shot isn't doing at all. Or even care about his father or how he didn't know his father growing up. Like, does that Bull make it better? fucking shit, mate. Yeah. It doesn't bloody matter. Yeah, absolutely. Him trying to get an emotional scene of visiting his father and getting to see, what did you tell me that you were there all along? Yeah. I was struggling by myself. I killed a child. And the dad was like, yeah, mate, I know what you did. I love how you sound exactly like him. I try. I try. <laughs> um, yeah, I just like, you know, I think it even happens in the first episode or, you know, at least in the first season where he shoots Kugi, right? Like we talk about the power of the Puthiethe. So, yeah, cool. And I love Tracy. I don't know why they kept trying to dress her in mum clothes because I could see what she was working with and I was most welcome. Mm. Right. So I, I, I can get that, you know, through, you know, loving someone and loving their child, you know, he, he felt an obligation to do something. I really didn't think he was going to follow through. Yeah. But that was just my good faith that he wasn't going to do anything. But again, if you're going to do it, do that. That's fine. But don't make me have a quandary about whether I I should, you know, do calculations like a death screw battle of, okay, he killed a kid, but he also saved a kid. Like, mm. you know, where where does that fit on the plane of quandaries? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, and the most annoying thing for me, at least in this, mm -hmm. is I knew from the get-go they were setting it up so that he is the one that finds Keisha. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, man, peace right off. Peace right off with this. <laughs> the things that they shouldn't have been connecting, they connected. Mm. And the things that should have been, like, you know, connected were left alone. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I did not care for it. I, I do care for Common. So it was nice to see Common, um, even though he was introduced through way of Ronnie's um, ongoing redemption. Mm. Um, I do want to make a comment and, you know, we are getting very heavy and we are getting very real, but I just want to make a very light comment. Ethel Davis, mm -hmm. that was supposed to be his grandmother. 
Yeah. Not his mother. <laughs> yeah. How does how does age work? <laughs> Ethel Davis is just a queen, mate. I suppose. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about veterans and how collectively we, the world, not specific to America, but the world, how we should take care of our veterans. But also that doesn't discard the actions that he took in regards to Kugi. Mm. Like, again, I don't want to sit here as much as OT loves an abacus on that ass. Mm. I don't want to sit here and equate to the nth degree on, on what equalizes him as a good person. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do that. But at the same time, I get that he's fractured as a character. And again, you talked about the dad. We talked about him as a veteran and him experiencing PTSD. You know, the the overwhelming expectations that you have from family members, Ethel in particular. I understand that. But I think a lot of, like a lot of the emotional investment we had with Brendan, they were just like, hey, care about Ronnie now. Mm. And again, I, I just, I was not with that at all. Let's move on to Emmett. Emmett is very cute. Um, I'm not even talking about like attractively. Like he was a cute character to have. But to make Creed the main character of The Office, (laughs) like you'll have have Emmett's blogs (laughs) on a fucking Word document. That's Mm -hmm. an Office reference. Who hasn't fucking watched? If you've watched The Shy and you haven't watched The Office, please email us because I think that defines as a unicorn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, Emmett is a very fun loving. I think the first time we're introduced to Emmett is when, um, you know, he's a sexual partner and he's engaging in their sex with Keisha. Mm-hmm. And we have Jada coming in asking her to come out. Yeah. <laughs> She's like butt naked under the bed. <laughs> right. So, you know, from the get go, I think it's quite clear who Emmett is, not to say that that's what he's restricted as, but we kind of get introduced to who Emmett is as a character and what we're going to get out of him. Um, We also learned that at least at that point in time, he has two other baby mamas Mm -hmm. um, and he's not taking care of them. He's spending all of his money, his spare money, any money he can get on his shoes. Yup. And that's the character that made a main one. Yeah. (laughs) Filet mignon. <laughs> I well, you you you're not really a big sort of sneakerhead, are you? Nah, nah, just that that ship sort of just went right over us, mate. Yeah, I don't get it. And even then, isn't it what they call a depreciating asset? Because the more you have it, and the more you wear it, it loses value, or not? Maybe he just wasn't wearing it and keeping it as a as a NRFB. Never removed from box. And you thought I'll never bring a fucking Dexter laboratory reference up in here. <laughs> oh, okay. You're welcome. I'm that doing is, my bowels right now. <laughs> that is also a reference for my generation too. <laughs> so, you know, there was a moment, you know, that turn of a coin where Emmett 
I don't think he's wearing sandals, but he's wearing something that isn't obviously trendy um, and fashionable. And that was supposed to be the big, oh, my God, he cares about something beyond himself. But because I don't fucking know what a gucky pepper pig is, I didn't, <laughs> like, it didn't have that payoff for me. But I guess if you care about shoes, you know, that would have resonated a bit more. To be honest, I liked him as a character. Um, he was light, Yeah, fun, before a main and, character? yeah. It was a bit off, but at the end of season two, we started seeing that Brendan was starting to take Emmett under his tutelage, yeah, which was a big thing. So I I just saw it as a natural progression. Mm-hmm. If they were to do away with Brandon as the main character, then I think Emmett had the space to come in because he was pretty much set up as um, next in line. Yeah, you know what was very confusing to me... Um was he catered the wedding for Keisha and Kevin's mom and also Dre. Mm. But he did very badly because I assumed that he had at least learnt a thing or two from Brendan. Nah, he didn't learn shit. Yeah, and that became clear even with one of his <laughs> um, child's baby showers. He had to order it. Yeah. I just, do an, what is it? What's the American version of delivery? Uh, I think it's Postmates. Oh. Which makes no sense. Postmate? It sounds like a delivery man is going to come home and fuck you. Mm. And if that's not what I'm getting as an American <laughs> experience with an eagle fucking soaring while it's happening. It's my dick in a box. <laughs> <laughs> you see, someone fucking hire us for marketing and PR. Yeah. And also HR because we're going to have problems. <laughs> but I just don't, I don't agree that Emmett would have been the one to, you know, carry the show. And I guess Ronnie kind of carried the show to a certain extent because really at the heart of it, it was Brandon and Kevin. Those were the main people that I cared about in the shot. Mm. So really the kids, it kind of felt like, you know, we talked about Wallace, we talked about Randy in The Wire. It felt like that new generation. Yeah. And those were the most enjoyable parts of season three, to be perfectly honest. Mm. There were. There were so many intersecting storylines in regards to the characters, Um, you know, coming of age, you know, adult life, trying to figure out what it's like to be a dad to four or five kids. Oh, I fucking love him. It's dad. (laughs) I I, I wouldn't want to be with him as a companion, but I enjoyed him as a person. Mm. I don't think Emmett would ever be as cool as he is, though. No, not, not in a million years. Um, you know, Emmett walking into Jada and him making out on the couch. <laughs> but then again, Emmett and Tiffany, like even Tiffany was walking around in her lingerie and they were fucking on the couch. So mm-hmm. I guess that goes back to the Master of None episode where I don't understand how couples have relations while their family are under the same roof. Mm-hmm. Like I don't fucking get it. Um, But yeah, Emmett has kind of become the centre of the shy. And I guess we'll see whether that becomes the case for season four. But we have Jada. I don't care for the relationship that Jada had with Ronnie. Yeah. I think it was just a way to tie in emotional attachment we might have. I really like Jada. Mm. I think she was great. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she also went on a couple of, I, I don't know if you'll call it dates, but she, she went with one of her co-workers to their family sort of um, gathering and I thought something would eventuate out of that. Um, but I, I really like Jada as a character. I just felt like she's kind of thrust into every sort of facet that she needs to be into. Um, I do like that she became a sort of support for Keisha. And I definitely want to make sure that we have time to talk about Keisha as well. Um, but, yeah, that, that's my bit about uh, Jada. What do you want to say about Sunny? Not much. I'll just add this to Jada as well. It's a lot of her writing frustrated me because she's supposed to be this really held up woman. Yeah. And then she would start saying some random comments that's really off brand, okay. like starting to celebrate another person's, um, the guy. Oh the, yes. The guy the she was dating. Or something yeah. Dying. Celebrating that she's dead or some shit. Yeah. Like, this yeah. isn't fucking Jada. And then it went nowhere. Yeah. It went nowhere. Oh, ridiculous. I guess the only thing I wanted to say about Sunny is how easy Emmett was able to get the acquisition or at least the promise from Lil Rel mm. that he would get, um, you know, Sunny's place. Yeah. I just felt like that that it kind of fell into place a bit too easily. But, again, if Emmett is our hero um, in this story, maybe that makes sense. Uh, I guess just rounding off Emmett's character, we have Tiffany and we also have um, Dominique Lala. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's a natural reaction to hearing in his name. I feel like we should just have that on the soundboard because that's an immediate reaction when I say Lala. <laughs> um well Tiffany, bloody hell, she's she needs a medal for keeping up with Emmett. Like yeah. bloody hell, she's been through a lot. Yeah. Uh she tries to fight to get a little bit of child support. Yeah. You know, which doesn't really come that regularly. And then she ends up getting preggers as well. So it was just one thing after another going wrong. I I would say um, that I would give credit to the show because, you know, they have a very casual discussion about abortion without it feeling traumatic. And again, we need to talk about Keisha. But in regards to Tiffany, she mentioned that they just couldn't handle another baby at this yeah. time. So yeah. I do like that they... It's it's fucking sad in 2020 that I need to say it. It wasn't but placed on a man- mantle place. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, sir. I, I, I get that. I see that. And for Lala, man, she just swooped in into <laughs> something else. Her name's Dominique. Separate the actress from the role. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. I feel like she just, she, when she left power, yeah. she just brought her fucking character into the shot. <laughs> Changes nothing. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! I just could handle, man. I just cringed every scene she was in. Are you sure? Because it looked different to me. It, it comes with the territory. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that um, him fucking Dom will ever come to light? Oh, of course, of course. Tiffany has to find out. Because there was the card reading. Unfortunately, Whoopi Goldberg wasn't there, so it wasn't as fun. But there was the card reading um, and there was talks about Emmett potentially cheating again. Mm. That's a very specific... I don't know what the tarot deck looks like. <laughs> <laughs> if if these powers do work, they definitely work through way of Emmett. Mm-hmm. They got him down to a tarot. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> if you'll pardon the card. Um, 
so I, I guess do do you think that would that would be enough to tear them apart? Probably. I think that once Tiffany finds out, she'll probably leave after that. Because we're seeing Emmett trying to cover everything up and even proposing mm-hmm. just because he feels guilty. Do you want that though? Mm. Is that what you really want, friends and lovers? Nah, man. Okay, let's move on to the younger generation in the shy. I want to talk about Kevin, Jake, and Papa. But obviously they have their own proximity characters. With Kevin, we have Keisha, who is her own sort of section. Um, Nina, who's the mum. And then I have Dre slash Karen, because I'm that fucking petty. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Kevin is a solid character. Oh, well, absolutely. We get introduced to him. He's super innocent. He he doesn't want to do anything bad, yeah. per se. So we kind of resonate with him really quickly. To follow his journey through everything bad that he's gone through, which is a lot for any kid. Too much. Too much, Yeah, some might say. Like, mm-hmm. it's... He gets bombarded with a lot. Not only from shooting Ronnie. Yeah. To witnessing people getting killed. To the sister being kidnapped. To everything lying on his feet to the uh, I can't even mention everything that he's have to be, he, he's had to go through. Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the times we talk about characters becoming the emotional dump truck. Um, Danny Sofa in the Shield. Uh, <laughs> if you've watched the Shield, you know exactly what we're talking about. Um, I'm sure all of our literary uh, learned friends and lovers will um, enlighten us to the correct term. But you know, sometimes there are characters where, when you need emotional trauma, you just fucking dump it on them. Mm-hmm. And for him to be a kid to have an adult chasing him to tie his loose ends because he shot another kid. Mm-hmm. At what point, at what point do you just throw away this fucking character? <laughs> right? But Kevin went through a lot. You know, he he went into therapy, but obviously there was that initial aversion to it. Um, and he kind of found his healing through his support networks, his family and mostly his friends, which I guess is um, true to a lot of people. Hmm. As much as there is professional help, people feel more comfortable healing through people they know. Yeah. Obviously not the most effective, but it's the most understandable as well. Um, Kevin has been through a lot in the show. Um, whether it's through him, whether it's inadvertently around him, and for him to be okay with Ronnie saving Keisha, like he's okay. He's entitled to his feelings on not liking Ronnie. But he had to deal with it because he saved Keisha. (laughs) I don't think that was fair. And again, you know, if you're going to throw all of the baby out with all of the bathwaters, why did you keep that? (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. Um, But I I do like that Kevin has Jake and he also has Papa, not just because he has friends, but also because they're so different and they offer a lot. Mm. You know, Jake, you you see a lot, especially when, you know, Reg was around. He was brought up in a very, you know, tough sort of upbringing. Yeah. 
and you know you you can't be soft and you have to be on guard at all points um papa is a lot more different he is very religious um and unfortunately i guess in his case in some case not all case uh he was a bit judgmental and very naive um in the way that the world worked without having you know a true semblance of how the world actually worked Mm. But sometimes it's nice to, um, you know, take some steps away from reality, even if it is religion. True. Sometimes it helps. Um, so I, I'm really glad that Kevin got that. We see later on in season three, um, you know, Kevin has a girlfriend and I th- I do feel like, you know, it's very similar to Brandon and Jerrica. The, the differences and experiences that Kevin has with this girl. Yeah. Because her dad is pretty much very well connected. Mm. But let's move within, you know, Kevin's sort of sphere. Let's talk about Keisha. She, we didn't really focus on Keisha a, a lot in the first two seasons. And then bam, shabam in season three. Yeah. Keisha is the center of everything. There's many bam, shabams that come in season three. <laughs> and I'm, I'm definitely talking about Dre's uh, strap-on. Mm. And it's just one of those things that you wonder. Oh, she she dresses a certain way and apparently that was enough to get her kidnapped. Oh, I hate that. that. How do you feel about the storyline where they talked about a Finster account? Mm. Again, this is showing my age. Tom was my only friend on the social spaces. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but you know, there was a lot of focus on how she chose to embrace herself and her body. Mm. How did you feel about that? Because again, we're not writing in a utopian, idealistic sort of world, and we definitely still live in a world of sex shaming, unfortunately. So it is it is unfortunately true to the world. But how did you feel about that particular? storyline that was just i think it, it spoke to us on a on a humanistic level on what happens actually but it doesn't fucking matter what it, she was doing it doesn't matter what she was doing but that's how society is mm-hmm. they will look at everything to make it seem like oh yeah she deserves that she had that coming look at what she was posting she was probably asking for it yeah. you know that kind of mentality and it's so rife in our society at the yeah. moment yeah you're right where Calling it out for what it is, I think it's one of the better ways of just showing how ugly the other side of the thing is. It's a tough one because you can create a fucking Tim Allen show um, and not really dive into anything deep. Yes, I'm calling out Tim Allen. Please don't. Hey, last month starting has some excellent, excellent stuff in there. Okay. Um. Tune in, friends and lovers, to OT's only podcast because I will not be featuring at all. Please don't give me producer credits. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there are shows that are just there to be mindless drivel, which isn't necessarily derogatory because we need that, right? After a hard fucking day, you don't want to be watching something that is so heavy, right? Mm. Even though it is more nourishment to the soul and our humanity as a people, right? So there are shows that are just there to watch. But a lot of the time, especially recently, people are becoming more conscious of 
our plight and, and, and our experiences and wanting to speak to that, not shying away from the conversations that your family don't want to speak about at dinner table conversations. Mm. Right. And there is that need for that. Um, I guess you want to call it wokeness, but whatever it is, right. There is definitely a way to do it. I thought that we were going down the sex trafficking sort of route in regards to Keisha being abducted. I do feel like it was a bit unfortunate and it was definitely a missed opportunity that it ended up being just some random man thinking it was someone that looked like, um, you know, his crush that didn't like her, didn't like him and she dressed provocatively and he needed to save her. Yeah. So it became very personal to the story, but, also, when there was a bigger message to be had. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. they talked to, you know, the, there was the vigil. There was that man that they were chasing down. Ronnie was chasing down specifically. And we thought it was going to be a part of a bigger, scarier. Even when Trig went into that house and Thank we saw. We Trig saw, and Amani. Yeah. And, you know, we love we love that there's been an introduction of LGBT stories in The Shy. It is unfortunate that it does feel a bit out of the blue. Mm. There is a way to do it. But specifically in that perfect example that you brought up, Trig and Amani found themselves there, but Keisha wasn't there, mm. right? And Imani makes a very heartfelt speech about we need to do more, we can't leave them here. And then they fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not our problem. I don't know if it was a matter of time constrictions or whatever it is, because they were talking about like Shameless and Black Monday in particular with Showtime not being able to um, deliver stuff within you know, 2020. So, you know, the shy had to maneuver and manipulate, but I don't know at what point do we stop giving fucking graces to behind the scenes and we just get to enjoy what's in front of us. Mm-hmm. Cause there are so many ways to be able to address that. And, you know, you really, there's really an opportunity to do that. And I don't think it was done very well in this. And uh, this is going to be a bit triggering, so feel free to skip ahead a couple of uh, or just a minute. Um, I want to talk about Keisha's decision to want to keep the baby. I don't know. I feel like, you know, it's a choice and if she feels that that's right for her, she holds the power, mate. Like I didn't hold any sort of opinion on that in terms of whether she should keep it or not. It's solely up to her. Most of the people would not. But if she does see the merit or she does see or she feels that she really wants to keep it, then, you know, there are other options available to her. It's not like she was restricted to, oh, you can't do this because of our beliefs. The parents were quite open and we have options. But at the end of the day, I feel like it's her body and she just has the right to choose what she wants to do with it or not. I very minusculely agree with you however it is very much to what we were saying earlier when she was being slut shamed Mm. about her having a separate account that was a bit more racy and her embracing herself um, even though she was underage but again I'm not for slut shaming I'm not for sex shaming Um, and what I will say on this 
very, very briefly, I am sick of the narrative of shaming women and keeping the baby is more important than abortion because abortion is the devil and you're the devil if you do that. And I'm sorry if it's 8 a.m. and you are listening to this podcast, but this is important to have, right? I'm glad that we have Borat 2 where we can giggle gaggle, but also at the same time they do tackle abortion and, you know, how whether it's cultural, whether it's religious or whether it's societal, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. It doesn't matter how traumatic the experience was to you or will continue to be for your child. You need to keep it no questions asked. Mm. And I think we are past that point. We are past that point where we have storylines like that and we need to care more about the people. Yeah. So I I have a lot more to say, but for this episode, um, I guess that's as much as I will say, you know, women have our own strength. We have our own strength and we can embrace it. Um, let's move on to Jake. Jake mm-hmm. has a lot of characters, um, but I'm pretty sure we can uh, intersect all of them. We have Reg, rest in peace, the character. We also have Trigonomani. We have Duda and we also have Candy Burris playing Duda's wife, Rosalind. <laughs> so he, Jake's older brother. We can see he cares about Jake in his own way, yeah. you know, but I like that Reg kept him up to date on what he needed to do to not get himself in trouble. Yeah. 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 He became really likable. At the start, we just thought he was being a dickhead. <laughs> but <laughs> we saw the dickheadness came with a bit of caring, you know? And yeah. fair enough, he became a fun favorite by, by the second season. Yeah. So having to do away with Reg... And not no explanation as to, you know, apparently Q, Duda sent word to get shot or whatever. They're all interchangeable, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like there was just a gap left because in as much as I love Trig and Imani, Reg just brought something different to the table. Well, we already had that emotional investment. So as much as we love Trig and Imani's story, it didn't change the fact that we don't know who they are. Yeah. And I think to later find out that ac- that actual storyline was meant to be for Reg anyway. You're yeah. like, it doesn't make any sense. Well, it kind of makes sense. And that's unfortunate that we yeah. need to be, we need to give graces as an audience mm. as opposed to it just feeling natural. Yeah. Um, I-, I guess if we're going to be a little bit nitpicky, I don't understand how Trig started kind of working under Duda. That didn't make any sense to me. Um, it, it was nice to see Jake navigate uh, the world of private school and the affluent sort of society um, without caring about it, like Kevin, mm. for example. Um, I, I do love Imani as a character. It's interesting to see more of her backstory and she talks about what she went through through her journey um, and also seeing what the family dynamics going to be between Trig, Imani and also Jake. Yeah. I think it's going to be very interesting moving forward. The only other thing I'll say about Duda um, was it was funny to see his little fights with his mom and his mom would side with Lena Waif's character. Camille. <laughs> and as soon as uh, Duda's mum did that, Duda was talking about how important it is to fund mental health services mm-hmm. to the mum. Just fucking petty. 
That's the delicious kind of petty we love in the foyer reference household. Let's finish off with Papa. Oh, man. An old soul he is. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. Um, he's fun. He he brings a bit of levity to the friends. I guess the most interesting thing about Papa is his dynamic with his dad and how that starts to become challenged. I guess the first sort of instance of that is when he sees him and Camille exchange hands with money. Mm. And we start to realise, because his dad even goes to jail as well. He gets arrested. Yeah. So we start to see that perhaps that righteous sort of veneer that he had, you know, seen through his dad is starting to dissipate. Mm-hmm. As real world issues, real world greed starts to come to light and potentially his money laundering. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic between Papa and his dad um, you know, it starts to play out in the series. All right, friends and lovers. Uh, so there you have it. A lot of feelings, some very positive, some very real, uh, and definitely some very negative um, in regards to this show. But thank you so much for joining us uh, on another journey in the four-year reference household. OT, is there anything you want to add before we get to the next segment? No. All right. So let's finish off in a segment we call For Your Friends. OT. If you want to catch Lena's more fun um, sort of show, it's 20s. It's really, really, really ridiculously nice that you would even wonder what the fuck you did spending watching season three. Get on it. <laughs> Canola oil from Insecure is also in 20s. <laughs> she is. Uh, and I would like to reference 2OT, if I may be so kind. Uh-huh. Snowfall. We do have an episode, uh, Rest in Love and Peace and Power, John Singleton, and also American Gods. Make sure you catch it before it spoils. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, if you want to continue to spoil us on Twitter and Instagram, we are at 4 Write us an email at hello at We're also on Apple Podcasts if you'd like to leave us a rating review, and we'll see you in the next episode. See ya. Bye.